Hello, you found a sermon from the Watford Church of Christ. This is our lesson from Sunday the 17th of March 2019 and it's focused on the church in Antioch as we see it at the end of chapter 11. We hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. Um, let's, uh, let's get into our text, let's look at Acts chapter 11. Um, we talked about Barnabas last week. And the more I've looked at Barnabas and this passage, the more I have just found a lot of personal encouragement and challenge and uh, inspiration. So I wanted to share with you some thoughts I've been working on the last two weeks from the last part of Acts chapter 11, uh, from verses 19 to 30. And we'll read that and then we'll dig into it with the three points you've got on your handout there, so no mystery uh, there. Uh, but I want to flesh these things out a little bit and then we can think about what this means for us. And then we'll take bread and wine at the end, just to remind us what where we get our inspiration from, for all of what we're talking about today, which of course is the cross. So just to begin with, could someone do me a favour and read Acts 11, 19 to 30, please? Come on, with a nice, loudish voice, and do that for us. That will be helpful. Acts 11, 19 to the end of the chapter. Who would like to read it for, read for us? I'll do it. Bill's going to do it. Go for it, Bill. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen travelled as far as Penis, I think it's, in Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto Jews only. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they went, came to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. When tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came, had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord, bad English. Then separated Barnabas to Tyrus for to seek Saul. And then when he had found him, he passed, he brought him into Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people and the disciples which called Christians first in Antioch. And in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of these named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciple, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Thanks very much. <coughs> Super. Awesome Antioch. I love the church in Antioch. The more I study it and think about it and read about its history, the more I think it's amazing what God did there. And it's amazing the response of the people there. And I think there are many parallels for us uh, in the Watford church with the church in Antioch. A lot of things for us to, to learn from that church and I think will be relevant to us. Um, and on your maps you can see where Antioch is, due north of Jerusalem. If you ever want to spot it on a map, if you look at the, um, the, uh, uh, the island of Cyprus and follow the arm pointing out to the northeast, follow that until you hit the mainland, and that's basically where Antioch is. Is that Turkey now? Uh, no, so that's Syria. 
So again, Turkey is where Tarsus is, uh, which is marked there where Saul was. And Antioch is in Syria, and in fact at that time was the administrative centre for the Syrian province of the Roman Empire. So it was a huge city, maybe half a million people lived there. It was probably the third largest city at the time in the Roman Empire after Rome itself and Alexandria. So a hugely significant place administratively. It was also a place known for its lax morals. It was a place where you went, it was even a saying about if, you're, if you were from Antioch, you were just, if, if you were tr describing somebody who was particularly promiscuous, you might say they were an Antiochian, just as a, a label, because that's how well known they were for uh, being particularly um, morally lax or corrupt. Uh, lax doesn't sound like a powerful enough word. Uh, there must be a better word, but anyway, never mind. We licentious. Oh, yeah. oh, there's a word. Okay, I like that. Okay, that's good. So that's the kind of place uh, we're dealing with. Um, and I think we would do well to think as a church how we can be a bit more like the church in Antioch. When we read this passage, we see several of the you know our acronym GREAT, the G R E A T thing. That several of these are fulfilled here. So the G for God focused. They're God-focused, and Barnabas is, which we'll talk more about in a minute. Uh, they're relationship-based. Again, we'll tease that out of this passage in a moment. They're free, but they're spiritual. And the T, toiling to build the church well, that, that's definitely going on here. And I know we all want to see more of that. So that's the background to what's going on here. Um, I see three key things in this passage, for me, that I wanted to share with you that I've been looking at the last two weeks. And they all begin with P, except they don't. So um, i got two of them begin with P, but so the first one is speak. Uh, of encouragement, so that's as close as I could get. Can I pour out words of encouragement? See, there are ways, teacher, to uh, make this uh, work. I I shouldn't. Next time, I'll send it over next time. Um, so what we have here in Antioch going on is that a large number of Gentiles are becoming Christians. And although a Gentile has become a Christian already in Acts 10, talked about earlier in Acts 11 with Cornelius, and the Ethiopian, who looks like a God-fearer, he might not have actually been a Jew. We've got individuals, but this is the first time that large numbers of Gentiles are becoming Christians. And this was a shock to the church in Jerusalem. It's a surprise. It didn't anticipate it, because it was the movement of the Spirit that Jesus predicted all along. But anyway, they sent Barnabas up to find out what's going on. And the first thing I see here is the spirit with which Barnabas approaches unusual situations. The spirit with which he approaches something he's never seen before. The spirit with which he approaches something that could be controversial, difficult, and delicate. In what spirit does he approach it? There's a couple of things we see. The first is that he notices what God is doing. He observes, he notices. It says in the passage that he saw what the grace of God had done. I think it's a beautiful way of thinking about how we approach each other and the work of God in each other's lives. We, go, we help each other in this church to grow in Christ-likeness. That's part of who we are. We believe in what we call, if you like, maturing as a disciple. You might call it one another Christianity. You might call it discipling. 
the, the term doesn't matter, but we believe that we've been called to help each other to become more Christ-like. That's part of our fabric. That's part of the reason for our relationships. But part of the way that works is not by saying, I'm going to help you, and I know what you need, and I'm going to tell you what to do. Part of it, at least, is observing what God is doing. What is God doing? Helping each other even to notice what God is doing in our own lives. Sometimes we need other people to say, I can see God at work. Sometimes the way that God is at work is quite nice, when something exciting is happening. But honestly, as you and I know, a lot of the ways in which God works is through difficult things. Mm -hmm. And it's in those difficult things that perhaps we can see God at work. I can see God growing patience in you. I can see God growing perseverance in you. I can see God growing purity in you. I can see God growing maturity in you. And if we do see these things, not making them up for the sake of something positive to say, but if we can see it, it's important to speak it. And it says that Barnabas does this. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So he doesn't go with a negative agenda. This is scary. This is unprecedented. It is controversial and delicate, this whole situation. But it doesn't go there with, ooh, bad stuff, man. It's probably not good. And I don't know what they're up to up there in Antioch. Let me go and find out. He goes there just with an observing attitude. And if we're going to grow and help each other, we need to have that kind of attitude, that kind of perspective with each other's lives. Um, so we see that's what he does. He speaks the words of encouragement. Um, I know there are, for different ones of us, we find different ways of being encouraged more useful or more, more it stirs the hearts more. Uh, the idea of, um, what's that book called, that famous book, the love languages, right? different kinds of love languages. So, but I think there's always a place for encouraging words, even if that's not your primary love language. It's important that we speak words of encouragement to each other. We've been given that opportunity. Um, I... I spent some time with, most of us know John Perez, John and Andrew mm -hmm. Perez. They were over uh, in the UK not long ago, and it was great to hang out with John for a, um, half a day, one day, which is great to catch up. And I can't tell you how much it meant to me that after, we, he, he went home, and, but the first thing he did when he got back was send me a long message telling me how much he appreciated that time together. And some things that I had shared with him and taught him 10 years ago that I'd forgotten. Because we forget that sometimes what's happened in the past. And he told me specifically about some conversations we had 10 or maybe even more years ago. And it meant the world to me that he remembers those things I said to him. And I don't need to remember them, but and it's, it's nice to know he remembers them. And, and just a few words lifted my spirit greatly. Um, when Simon and I had a coffee earlier this week, uh, it was thank you. really uh, I really enjoyed it but it was nice also to get a text from you Simon afterwards saying thank you for the time together yeah. and it's nothing complicated but I, we can take each other for granted and not notice necessarily what God is doing so let's speak the words of encouragement and then you know how does a church grow well there are a lot of books written about that but we're not even told how it grew here. All we're told is the Barnabas went. He noticed what God was doing, and he spoke words of encouragement. And then he said that a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So I don't know exactly how, how all that worked. But what I do know is when we are positive about the work of God <coughs> and encourage each other, then God seems to have opportunity to grow his church. So the first thing is speaking words of encouragement. Uh, the second thing I notice here about Barnabas 
is that he recognized when he needed a partner and he went off and got one. Uh, he found the work in Antioch outgrowing his capacity. He was a very capable preacher, teacher, um, but he, um, he realizes that he can't continue with the work that God has given him on his own. So he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul, his old buddy, someone he'd known back in Acts, earlier in the book of Acts, which we looked at previously. So he goes to Tarsus, and he looks for him. Um, and in the Greek, the word to look for, there is a word that implies it was hard. Like it's more like he had to conduct a thorough search to find Saul. It's not like he knew where he was um, in Tarsus, and he had the address, and just went and knocked on the door. This was hard. He had to travel, he had to look, he had to search. But he really needed this partner. I think in my own life, I've neglected the significance of how important it is to work together with a partner or partners in the gospel. We really need other people to be alongside us. Perhaps people with different gifts. I mean, Saul was a very different character to Barnabas. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Saul, um, very pastoral-minded, but also a fearsome preacher. And, uh, and certainly a visionary man. Very different characters, different backgrounds. But they needed each other. In fact, the church needed them together to work uh, together. And they needed that partnership. And Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. right? And we see partnerships all through the New Testament. Whether it's Paul and Silas or Paul and Timothy. Barnabas and John Mark a little later in the book of Acts. Um, it's not to say that God only works through partnership. But there's something about partnership that is so important. And Barnabas and Tarsus develop a partnership that's incredibly powerful for the church. They teach, uh, they meet with the church and talk great numbers of people. There's a lot going on there that, that makes a big difference. What I see in Barnabas is that when he recognized the need for a partner, he didn't wait and sit around waiting for one to turn up. He took the initiative and went and found a partner. I think, thought for myself, am I looking for partners, or am I just hoping they'll turn up? And then it doesn't mean I don't have some partnerships, and I enjoy my relationships with, with all of us here, and people like Tim Dannett and others. It's like, I do have partnerships in, in one sense, but what about an active working together partnership? It's a bit different, isn't it? As we work together on helping people become Christians, or helping people mature, or helping people with situations in their lives, or helping to serve the needy, how about doing it in partnership? Um, there's maybe nothing quite as more sad than a lonely Christian. But it's, so, it's not necessary. Now we have a community, and we need the community. And I think our Wednesday nights, the women's meetings, the men's meetings, and these gatherings, these are our community gatherings, and these are very valuable. We need the community gatherings. But there's something about the Christian life that there's a, there's a power in partnership and working together. And in working together, that's when we learn from each other. Because when we're working together up close, then we see how people tick, and we see how they operate, and we see what their strengths are, and we, we see Christ-like things in them that aren't in us. But it's doing it again. So praying with Joe on Tuesday was great, you know, because Joe has a different relationship with God than I do. And that was a bit of a prayer partnership at the time, you could say. And I like that, because although Joe's very different from me, I think we're quite different from each other in some ways, we both have a relationship with God, and then well, we can learn from each other. But it means... It means meeting up. It means getting, what time was it? Seven in the morning we met. And, and it means doing that. It means Joe getting up early on his day off, which I appreciate. And, and spending that time praying. It means doing that. I very much enjoyed the time that Dan 
Charles and I spent um, two weeks ago or so uh, just talking quite late one night, um, talking about life, talking about things. It, it there's something about that time in in a small, just two or three people um, talking, doing things together that is very important, and I'd like to encourage you to think about uh, whether we have those partnerships, and if not, how we can develop them, like Barnabas and uh, Paul. So that's the second thing. The third thing is providing practical help. So I think this is a really interesting thing here. Um, prophets come down, and one of them, Agabus, stands up and says there's going to be a big famine, a severe famine throughout the uh, the entire Roman world. And what we know from history is there were famines in different parts of the Roman Empire around that time, um, and really bad, uh, like several harvests in a row failed in some parts of the Roman Empire during the reign of Claudius, which was uh, 41 to 54 AD, and that does happen. What I find really interesting about this situation, though, is that it doesn't say, the prophecy is not, the famine will be really bad in Judea, and it won't be bad in Antioch. It doesn't say that. It just says there will be famine in the Roman Empire. And it doesn't say, God says, you Antiochians, you need to help the, the poorer disciples who are going to have this famine in Judea. There's no specific instruction here or information. But the disciples in Antioch think, now, we, we've got, I mean, it's, it's a prosperous place. So presumably they think, well, we've got some money. And the Judean Christians, they're in a tough situation. So when the famine comes to them, we'd like them to be able to be prepared. Because the famine hasn't come yet, it's coming. So they, a lovely initiative, I think this is incredibly loving, but they say, we've got some spare cash, let's put it together, let's give it to Barnabas and Saul, they can take it to Judea, and then they'll have the money for when the famine strikes, if they need it. Now that's an act of faith. Like when there's a disaster, and we say, right, let's give some money, that's not an act of faith, that's just a, a, a response, it's a good response, but it's just a response, right? But to say, well, there's no problem right now, but we believe this prophecy is going to come, these people could use some help, we have some resources, let's give it to them in advance. That's really loving. It's really faith-filled. And I just, I love that uh, spirit about the Christians in Antioch. And I, I, I think it's, it's very inspiring. It's great to be able to meet needs. I think we've been lucky, uh, even just this last week or so, to be able to help those families uh, through you, Becky. And thanks for, thank you for giving us that channel, really, to, to help. And that's a need. But it's, it's great to be able to do that. And maybe we can do more. We'll, we'll see. Um, and it's lovely sometimes to give. It's something, sometimes really nice to receive. It, it bonds us together. Um, I still feel very close to my friend Steve Gajewski. And most of you have never met. But you've met Wendy, who's been here a few times. You might remember Wendy's visited a few times from San Francisco. Uh, she came to one or two of the women's meetings. Um, and her family lived nearby. But, uh, but I, you know, Steve and I, I haven't seen Steve in donkey's years. But I still feel very bonded because when our kids were very small, like Fred, our son, was less than a year old, and our daughter was only about you know, a few months older than that, um, uh, we, were, we, were, we were very short of money at the time. And one day, Steve turned up with uh, his car full of bags of groceries from Tesco. And uh, he just turned up um, and brought them to the house. And Well, I think he actually left them outside. He was kind of embarrassed. Uh, so he just turned up with bags of the groceries. And, uh, and he was a single guy. I mean, I, we were married with kids. It's not like he would necessarily fully understand our situation, but he knew that we were a bit tight, and so he just turned up with food. And, and I know that we do this kind of thing for each other. And I want to encourage us to think even more about it, even more about how, where are the needs, what do I know of the needs, where are the needs, how could I even anticipate some needs? 
especially amongst us, because in this context, the context is Christians in Antioch helping Christians in Judea, and it's great to help other people too. But let's make sure that we're meeting the needs within our membership as well, because that is part of what we're called to do. Um, so maybe we need to also make sure we're being humble enough to let other people know our needs, because that can be a challenge, can't it? I mean, I felt embarrassed when Steve turned up with the food. I mean, I was grateful, <laughs> but I was kind of embarrassed too. And uh, it can be a test of our humility to let people know, actually, I really could use some help. Whether it's physical, practical in that sense, or emotional help, or um, emotional, spiritual, material, whatever the kind of help we need. Uh, let's practice vulnerability so that others can help. That will make a big difference. So those are some thoughts from this passage, which I've tried to live out this last two weeks. I decided I'd really try and, and do this. And um, it's been refreshing for me to at least do my best to speak words of encouragement um, and to provide some practical help and to partner up uh, with people. It's, it's, I have felt much more connected um, with the congregation um, and actually more connected with God in some ways by taking this kind of thing seriously, and I encourage us to do the same thing. Think through these areas in our own lives. So we're, we're going to take some bread and wine to remind us why we do this. Because this is not some kind of like program of let's just do this for the, because it's the right thing to do. But we do these things because it's actually Christ-like and inspired by what he did for us. Uh, he provided for our needs. He did partner uh, with the Holy Spirit and the Father, you could say. And certainly he spoke words of encouragement. So let's pray together, and then we'll take some bread and wine as we reflect on what we've just learned. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to find out more, have a look at www.thewatfordchurch.org or send us an email if you'd like to be in touch. And for that, you'll need thewatfordchurch at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Take care, and God bless.